Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to spend time together with you. We ask, O oh Lord, for forgiveness of our sin, especially my sin, Lord. You know what I have done against you, what I have done wrong to others, and I ask that you will hide me behind the cross. Thank you, Father, for the forgiveness that you give and the reconciliation we can have with each other. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray for eyes from the Holy Spirit that you will help us to see your truth. Thank you, Father, for answering this prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Science is in my genes. As mentioned by sister, she said that I graduated from a Bachelor of Biomedical Sciences. And my father, he actually also has some science background too. He has a Bachelor of Applied Science in Chemical Engineering, a Master's of Science in Explosives Engineering, and a PhD in Nuclear Engineering. And my mother, who sat just there, she graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry. So science and the love for discovering more about the world around us is in my blood. One of my favorite quotes from Sister White is the very last sentence from the Great Controversy. And it says, from the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. So I have some photos for you and I want you to say out loud the first thing that comes to mind. DNA, any other ideas? Double helix, I heard some of you are also science students. What comes to mind when I see DNA is the immense amount of information, the sequence of adenosine, thymine, cytosine, and guanine, and all that coded in DNA. It's amazing that God can use such a small structure to develop such a complex being such as humans and bananas. How about this one? It's a snowflake, what comes to mind? Winter? <laughs> what comes to mind when I see this? I think of mathematics. The reason being these are fractals. The amount of patterns just behind making the structure of a snowflake. How about the next one? Pomegranate, what do you think of? It's so difficult to open. I wish someone else would open it for me. What comes to my mind is the seed. This is an adaptation from an article I read by uh, the editor of Savisco Quarterly, Clifford Goldstein. He wrote about a grapefruit, but I like pomegranate. And when you open the pomegranate, you find the seed. And when you open the seed, what's inside? Just white fluff. If you look inside the seed, it's just white nothingness. But you are all smart. So if you take the seed and you plant it in dirt and you water it, what happens to the seed? 
it grows. Can you eat the wood? Can you eat the branches? No, you have to wait. And then these bulbous fruits form. Can you eat the outside of the fruit? No, you cannot. You have to open it up and you get the delicious, juicy pomegranate. Now, what's inside the pomegranate? Another seed. And this is cycling through my mind when I look at a photo of a pomegranate. How amazing is God that the cycle from seed to fruit is right there before us. The next one, a tree. What comes to mind? Lots of things. What comes to my mind is how does the tree bring up the water from the ground all the way to the top? It takes a lot of energy, right? Another thing that comes to mind is where did the tree come from? Jesus speaks about a mustard seed. It's so small, but the mustard tree is so big. Now, if you think about it, surely there's not a big hole in the ground that all of the mass from the soil became a tree, right? Otherwise the tree would sink. But the tree's mass actually comes from carbon dioxide. And the last photo we have is of Earth and the outer space, what comes to mind? I think of how these giant spherical bodies are orbiting the universe or our solar system. How can they do that, right? Isn't our God so amazing? He has provided these natural laws and all of nature abides by these natural laws. Now, what about us? God created us, so what law do we abide by? That is God's law. God's law, what's the theme actually for GYC Canada? Cross connection, law and Love combined. So when I first saw the theme for this convention, law and love combined, I did what any sensible person would do, and I looked up the words law and love in my Bible. And some of the verses that came up were from Psalm 119, verses 97, 113, 163, and 165. Shall we read them together? Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. I hate abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Another translation reads, nothing shall cause them to stumble. So as I look through these verses, I'm trying to think of someone in the Bible who stumbled, because in my personal testimony, I stumble as well. How many of us stumble in our walk with the Lord? So let's find someone in the book of Matthew chapter 26, we'll look at an individual who stumbles as well. You can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. We will begin at verse 31. I will have them on the screen with some highlighted words just to jump out at you. Let's, I'll read. Then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, 
I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. So Jesus said, what words in blue? It is written. What is Jesus referring to? The scripture, right? Jesus is saying, the Bible says this. What does Peter say? Next verse. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. So here, is Peter agreeing or disagreeing with Jesus? Disagreeing, right? Jesus said, the Bible says this, and Peter said, no, the Bible doesn't apply to me. It is written, does not apply to me. The prophecy does not apply to me. The prophecy said all of them would be offended, but Peter says, I will not offend you. Interesting first stumble. Next, Jesus speaks to Peter. Jesus says in verse 34, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Jesus said, I say. Who is Jesus? He's the present truth in this time, correct? He is the very embodiment of the spirit of prophecy. And Jesus is telling Peter this. What's Peter's answer? Verse 35. Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. So is Peter agreeing or disagreeing with the present truth? Disagreeing, right? Stumble number two. Let's see if there's another one. I pray not, but the Bible tells us otherwise. In verse 36 and 37. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. I will also read verse 38. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. So Jesus said to watch, or pray. Stay awake, watch with me, pray. And how does Peter reply? What is his action? We know that he fell asleep. In verses 40 to 41, And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith specifically to Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The first stumble, Jesus said, it is written, and Peter said, no, that it is written, the Bible, it doesn't apply to me. I don't need the Bible. The second stumble, Jesus said, I am saying to you the present truth, a prophet is speaking to you, the spirit of prophecy is speaking you this, telling you this message, and Peter says, nope, I don't need the spirit of prophecy. This last time, Jesus is encouraging, Stay, 
pray, pray with me, watch with me in the garden. And Peter is sleeping. He says, no, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to sleep in. I don't need to go to United Prayer at 6 in the morning. Bible, spirit of prophecy, and prayer. Growing up as an Adventist, these things were not optional. We had to read our Bible, and we had to read Spirit of Prophecy, and we had to pray. And I grew up in a beautiful Adventist family. I am so blessed that my parents have instructed me in this way. But it is not my parents' faith that will save me, correct? I need to develop my walk with the Lord. My mom is an amazing prayer warrior, but I need to develop that prayer warrior attitude as well. And so my testimony begins there. I had a very close friend of mine say something very dangerous to me as I was choosing which, which university to go to. He said, you should go where you will need Jesus the most. And out of the universities I applied to, that happened to be the farthest one away from home. So when I was 17, I moved out of the house and I went to a university 600 kilometers away from home. And there, at this public university, I started to be impressed with all sorts of teachings and all sorts of fallacies. I do praise God that I did not have to take the evolutionary course. It was not required for my for my program, but I still was sitting in my microbiology class. And in my microbiology class, uh, I was there and my, my professor was down at the bottom of the lecture hall, and he's an atheist, and he believes, believes if I use that term loosely, in evolution. And he's instructing and reminding us of the central dogma of molecular biology. I know there's a biologist among us, and maybe some high school students have also studied the central dogma, but let me review it with you. The central dogma of molecular biology describes the flow of genetic information, which is stored in the DNA as a code, it is then transcribed out of the nucleus in the form of RNA, which acts as a messenger. And lastly, it is translated into a protein, a worker in the cell. Without this process, cells could not function at all. So this is central to the idea of life and any function in the cell. So I was sat there and my atheistic evolutionary professor is going on and on and a thought comes to my mind. I say, God created this. He is the creator of all things good and I know that I've seen this process in another place. So I started to think of an object lesson and Jesus always uses parables so if Jesus was a molecular biologist, he would use this parable too. The DNA is God's law. It's the code. Who is the one to understand it? Can we understand it of ourselves? Not at all. We cannot discern it unless we have a messenger, the Holy Spirit. Every time we open the word, we have to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us understand. 
And then God's law is put into the hearts of believers. And like a protein, they are working, always functioning. What about us believers? Are we just looking forward to Sabbath, where we sit down and listen to the sermon? Or are we actively involved in the work for saving souls? Now, another feature, because sin has happened, there's something called retroviral activity. Viruses invade the cell, and they have this backwards activity, wherein they make up their own code, and they inject that into the code and formulate their own instructions. Is that what we should be doing with the law of God? Not at all, right? So here, the word retro, it means to go backwards. And since Jesus, I can believe he is a molecular biologist, I say, well, he gave many visions to Sister White. So maybe Sister White is also a molecular biologist. So I looked up the term retro in the spirit of prophecy, and I'd like to share with you my findings. But before that, this is kind of the background to it. From Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, I have it up here so you can read along. I have been shown that those who have a knowledge of the truth and yet allow all their powers to be absorbed in worldly interests are unfaithful. They are not, by their good works, letting the light of truth shine to others. Everyone who professes the name of Christ is required to grow up to the full stature of Christ the Christian's living head. The Bible, remember that's our code, presents a perfect standard of character. It is an infallible guide under all circumstances, even to the end of the journey of life. Take it as the man of your counsel, the rule of your daily life. Isn't that a blessing to read that? Now, she gives us a challenge. You can attain to the high standard set before you in the scriptures, and you must, if you would be children of God. You cannot stand still. You must either advance or retrograde. There's the word, the, the phrase retro means backwards. So see, Sister White is a molecular biologist. She understands that in our walk with the Lord, there's no such thing as standing still. You have to advance closer and closer to Christ, or if you're not advancing, you're going backwards. And that is something, especially now, we should not be doing. She goes on to say, those only who faithfully accept and appreciate the light God has given us and who take a high, noble stand in self-denial and self-sacrifice will be channels of light to the world. Those who do not advance will retrograde, even on the very borders of the heavenly Canaan. We're almost there. We're just at the border. Get out your passport. We have to be advancing. I found another one in the Review and Herald, December 13, 1892. 
And as we near the close of this Earth's history, we either rapidly advance in Christian growth or rapidly retrograde toward the world. There is no standing still. We have to be growing and not retrograding. Another one, Signs of the Times, March 30, 1876. We realized that if we were not advancing in holiness, we were sure to retrograde. So once again, to advance means to follow the law of God, which means in holiness, sanctification. Selected Messages, Book 1, page 117. The church will not retrograde while the members seek help from the throne of grace. That's amazing, right? Seek help from the throne of grace that they may not fail to cooperate in the great work of saving the souls that are on the brink of ruin. The members of a church that is an active, working church will have a realization that we are wearing Christ's yoke and drawing with him. Now, when you hear Christ's yoke, we always remember Matthew 11, 28 and 30, which reads, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's easy thing. All that it requires is self-denial and self-sacrifice. Review and Herald, October 14, 1890. It seems that Sister White keeps going on about this molecular biology. We are not to retrograde, not even to stand still, but to advance step by step, following the light of the world. And the last one I'll share with you, Review and Herald, July 29, 1884. The health reform is an important part of the third angel's message. And as a people professing this reform, we should not retrograde, but make continual advancement. So my personal testimony begins here in health reform. I recognize that health reform has many facets. Diet reform, dress reform, music and entertainment reform, all of the avenues of our mind have to be reformed. Diet reform. As mentioned before, I went to a public university and the cafeteria there, do they know the health message? No, they don't. They don't have the light. So I was served a lot of cheese and french fries. As a vegetarian, is that a healthy diet? Not at all. In the first year of university, I gained eight kilograms. And my brother, I praise God for my brother because he challenged me to go vegan. And so I tried it out, and within about three or four months, I was able to lose all the weight that I had gained by an unhealthy vegetarian diet, instead choosing more plant-based foods. And I also got out of residence, so I learned how to cook on my own, and it's a blessing to know how to manage the home through cooking. Up here, there's a picture of overnight oats. 
Um, I consistently would eat overnight oats. It's such an easy thing for a student to do. I continue to this day, and I make extra so that if I have a co-worker next to me, I'll just give them a portion and tell them and share with them the health message. It's very easy to prepare and very cheap and very affordable for a student. Dress reform is another um, part of my life that God really touched. And before, I didn't really have many guidelines, per se, where I would dress. And I was really scared about showing these photos, but they're still on Facebook and I cannot take them down because it is my testimony. But praise God, through his influence, he helped me to know how to dress so that I can show to the world that he made me as a woman, that there's no confusion, especially as I went to Thailand, there's a lot of confusion there in regards to dress and who is who, and it's a big question mark. So as a teacher, I would want to share with my students the proper way of dressing. And a quick testimony in regards to that, they would come up to me and they would say, Miss, you're not wearing makeup, why is that? And I tell them, well, I don't need it. God made me this way, and you know, that's so time consuming. I want to spend my time doing something else for others. So I really praise God for that small testimony I can, I can share with you. Another reform that had to happen was music and entertainment. God had impressed me through various ministries. Perhaps you've heard of Little Light Studios. There's also um, the Shepherd's Call with Distraction Dilemma programs you can watch. So God helped me to press delete on all of my iTunes library. And he also helped me with something I was really struggling with. As a millennial, we like to be connected, we like to know about pop culture, and I had an unhealthy addiction to the entertainment industry. I would constantly absorb these worldly messages by listening to the popular secular music or watching the popular Hollywood films or reading the, the books that all the young people were reading. And one series, I won't name it, but it's up there for you to see, it got me in trouble. I got my hands on the books, and I took those books into my bedroom, and I would, sorry, and I would lean against my bedroom door to prevent my mom from coming in and saying, can you help me wash the dishes? Can you help me vacuum? Can you help me with the household chores? I didn't want to listen to that. Instead, I was so addicted to this form of entertainment. I would lean against the door. This is my mother that I would, I would rebel so hard against her. But she kept praying for me, praise the Lord. And by God's grace, I have overcome that, and mom, I'll help you clean when I can, okay? <laughs> you know, the Lord's standard can be raised in your home, and I really want to impress upon the parents and young families that you continue to raise that standard, cast aside all of those influences out of your home, get them out, 
and the battle against the entrance of Satan through media was revealed to me, it can be revealed to you too. Instead, reflect on the beauty of holiness and desire to have the purity of Jesus. In this tender moment, the Lord worked through my humble mother in teaching me how to guard the avenues of my soul, lest Satan should gain victory over them. Jesus has won the victory for me every day since. Praise God. Many youth today also struggle to free themselves from Satan's snares, but the victory I gain every day over temptations by faith in Jesus is the self-same victory anyone can claim through Jesus. Praise the Lord. Looking back now, I can see that God was shaping me for service. Health reform helps you to be a better missionary, and that is what we are called to be. Whether it's here at your home, whether it's in another province, or whether God calls you to the other side of the world, God is wanting us to be reformed as well as reaching those for him. So as I was finishing my university career, but my, my bachelor, I learned about Adventist Volunteers Services, which is um, operated by the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. And by God's grace, I was able to be a missionary in Thailand for two years. And there are countless stories I could share with you about all the blessings of serving the Lord. It's exhausting. <laughs> but praise God, he gave me the strength I'll share some pictures with you. Here in the top left corner, the school I worked at was an Adventist school with 1,400 students. It was an Adventist school. Uh, it was an international school, so all the instruction was in English. And this is very um, exciting for Thai students to know because once they learn English, they can get better careers and better opportunities for school. So most of the students at the mission schools in Thailand, all around Thailand, are Thai Buddhist. 95% of the students in the Adventist school are Thai Buddhist students. And so this is our week of prayer. The pastor gave an altar call. And do you see how many students have swarmed? They're all gathering. They all know about prayer. And Kuya Jem, they're praying as well. Praise God. Down here, um, I'd like to share with you that a few of the students, they heard about my slum ministry. By God's grace, he strengthened me to go on the weekend to a slum community and to teach the English and teach Bible songs to the very poor families in the community. And so when my students heard about it, they started to make a schedule. I'm free on this day. I'm free on this day. Oh, let's get a van. Let's go together. And this is a big blessing for me because they can speak Thai and they can speak English. They are non-Christian, but they're teaching Jesus to the little boys and girls. It's a double-sided ministry. Not only were the students learning about Jesus, but the children were learning about Jesus too. 
In the bottom right corner is one of my students was baptized uh, just last December. I praise God for the big change of heart he had. Um, he was a very difficult student to deal with. Lots of teachers cried over his behavior. It was very tricky, but praise God, he helped a lot with the campus ministries and God changed his heart. And as a Thai Buddhist, he was baptized into the Adventist church, praise God. In the top right corner, um, we were able to participate in Global Youth Day and we gathered all of my students and as it is a private school, some of them are very wealthy families. So we gathered them together and we said, let's go to this low income housing and let's give a free health expo and let's give free children's programming and let's have all of this, we'll hand out tracts. And this man here, he might have been inebriated, he might have been insane, but nonetheless, my students, they knelt down before him and they read to him the hope that we find in Jesus. We checked his blood pressure, we gave him a banana, and we removed the cigarette from his hand. And this is one of the first experiences of Global Youth Day that my students ever had. They were shaking, they were terrified, but I'm glad they could have this opportunity. And perhaps today during outreach, you may have the same kind of experience as my students did. One last story I'd like to share. I got permission by someone to share with you. One of the, the one in the black shirt there, his name is Pastor Wilson. He was our chaplain at the school and he did mighty work, mighty works for the Lord being a chaplain at the school. However, I know he was also struggling with reform, not only diet reform, but entertainment reform and dress reform. And um, I, I had an encounter with him that was not pleasant on my behalf. And that really paralyzed me in my ministry. For about two or three months, we didn't speak to each other. And I was, I was really oppressed by this. And it was something that I had done to myself. All you have to do is ask for forgiveness, find reconciliation between each other. But because of my pride, even as a missionary, I didn't want to approach him. But I still prayed for him. Through that constant prayer, God led me to approach him via text message. And I sent him a message one Friday night. I said, tomorrow is communion. Can you please forgive me? Do you know what his reply was? No. He said no. The very next day was communion. I wanted to be ready to participate in such a humbling service where we remember Christ's sacrifice, but I couldn't because I, I didn't ask him and he, did, he, didn't give me for, he didn't forgive me. I really praise God for that opportunity though because it showed to me how important communion is, how important it is to be ready to receive that sacrifice that Christ made. A few months later, after much prayer, we reconciled and he helped me with all of the programming, with bringing the students to the slum community. 
And if I may share with you, he lost so much weight. He's so healthy now. He's a pastor in Indonesia. And every Sunday morning, they go for fitness um, throughout the city. And they share the word of God in a Muslim country. Um, he also... <laughs> He also had a very nice high-tech cell phone, but he gave it away. And one of his students gave him this old phone with princess stickers, and he still uses that phone. And he also had a very nice watch, but he lost it. And God impressed him not to replace it with another nice expensive watch, not a Rolex not an Apple watch, but he got a Casio or some cheap one from a Walmart, and he was able to have dress reform. And I really praise God for the ministry that he's doing now. Uh, if I can let you in on a little secret, we are praying that he will become the first Asian General Conference president. <laughs> so keep him in your prayers. His name is Pastor Wilson. And I think he's going to listen to this audio verse. So, hi, Pastor Wilson. <laughs> now, in Ministry of Healing, page 470, Sister White says, the strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. When we undergo self-denial and self-sacrifice, when we put others first, when we have health reform, then we can become just as loving and lovable as Jesus would like us to be. When I was still in Thailand doing the work, many of you leaders may also have a similar experience. It becomes a cycle, and you just get into the habit of doing God's work, but you forget that you're supposed to consecrate yourself every morning to Him. And I also underwent the same syndrome, if I may call it that way. One Sunday morning, I woke up and I said, Lord, I'm sick of this cycle. Please give me something fresh and new. I want today to be different. Take my heart. I cannot give it to you. Mold me and fashion me. Please give me a divine appointment today. This time, I meant it. And I went to the slum community in the church, and I was preparing for the children to come we would be learning about Jesus, we would be singing songs, but instead I heard a knock on the door. And so I praise God, there were some uh, Bible workers that were with me that day, and they spoke with the individual. This individual had gone through a motorcycle accident a few years prior, and he had lost all feeling in his arm and leg, partially paralyzed, and, you know, he brought with him his taxi driver. They both came into the church. They asked, is this the Sunday keeping church? They looked on Google Maps and they showed us that this location where we were had on, on Google Maps a Sunday keeping church. And we said, oh, no, 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 we're a Sabbath keeping church. So within the first five minutes, we shared with them about the Sabbath. The very next thing they told us was about their health, the paralyzation that he had. And so we continued to ask him, what are you eating? Oh, I eat shrimp and pork, 
So what do you think we would tell him now about the health message, what the Bible says we should be eating within the very first five minutes of meeting him? And by the way, he had driven over two hours with this taxi driver looking for a Sunday-keeping church. But the Holy Spirit brought him to the Seventh-day Adventist church instead, praise God. If your focus is not on Christ, you will not do the work. You will not do the will of God. A very solemn thing to hear. Once again, if your focus is not on Christ or the cross, you will not do the work. You will not do the will of God. But instead, I present to you a challenge from the Review and Herald, July 29, 1844, 1884, sorry. We have great victories to gain and a heaven to lose if we do not gain them. Messages to Young People, page 51. Satan knows better than God's people the power that they can have over him when their strength is in Christ. When they humbly entreat the mighty conqueror for help, the weakest believers in truth, relying firmly upon Christ, can successfully repulse Satan and all his host. Page 96, beware how you neglect secret prayer and a study of God's word. These are your weapons against him who is striving to hinder your progress heavenward. The first neglect of prayer in Bible study makes the second neglect easier. Sorry, let me read that again. The first neglect of prayer and Bible study makes easier the second neglect. The first resistance to the Spirit's pleading prepares the way for the second resistance. On the other hand, every resistance of temptation makes resistance more easy. Every denial of self makes self-denial easier. Every victory gained prepares the way for a fresh victory. Every resistance of temptation, each self-denial, each triumph over sin, is a seed sown unto eternal life. Every unselfish action gives new strength to spirituality. Praise God. Desire of Ages, page 641. When we love the world as Christ has loved it, then for us, his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. We have a big, big, big task to accomplish ahead of us, and it can only be done by God's grace. One of the last stories I'd like to share, Sister White wrote in The Signs of the Times, January 31, 1878, and it's about a cord of firewood. Now, I don't know what a cord is, so I googled it, and a cord of firewood is made up of about 1,000 logs. And an old gentleman, Sister White tells the story, he was broken down from all of his labor and he was seeking for some more work so he could make some money. 
And there was a nobleman who had a forest, and he told this older gentleman, well, if you can cut a hundred cords of wood, I will give you a hundred dollars. So if a cord is one thousand, and he had to cut a hundred, that is a hundred thousand logs. That's a lot, right? It's such a big task to do with one man. And the old gentleman said he couldn't do that. That's such a big task. Well, the nobleman said, let's, let's change it up a bit. Can you do one today? And I'll give you one dollar. And can you come back tomorrow? Okay, so they shook on it, and he finished the one cord the first day. He got his one dollar and came back the second day. He finished another cord, he got his dollar, and came back the third day. And for 100 days, he was able to complete such a large task. Why do I share this with you? Maybe you see in your life that, or maybe you don't see, maybe the Holy Spirit is still trying to get your attention that you need to clean up this, and you need to prepare this, and you need to get rid of this. It's such a big task, and it's overwhelming. But Jesus is with you one day at a time, one step at a time. I'd just like to appeal to you that today we have an opportunity, a very big opportunity to reach non-believers. And I want us to each take some time to consecrate ourselves. Some of you might have not signed up for outreach, but Jesus is calling you to sign up for outreach. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you now as sinners, but we are so grateful for the cross and the forgiveness that you provide so rich and free. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to open our eyes at the hidden parts in our life that we're keeping from you. Please help us to advance and not retrograde. May you help us to take the first step in your direction. And Lord, we want to give ourselves to you now, especially as we go out into the community this afternoon. We ask that you will use us. Although we have so many things wrong against us, you can still use us, Lord. So I pray for each of these individuals. Give them the courage, give them the audacity to sing, to delight to do thy will and to share these glow tracks. We ask especially for protection and we ask for the continued encouragement from the Holy Spirit to know that we are doing your work. Lord, we thank you for the preparation day for the Sabbath today. We also thank you for the preparation lifetime that you've given us to prepare for heaven. And all of this we ask and we devote to you only by your precious name and the blood that you shed on Calvary. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.